0: The Will Kane Show podcast is presented by the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited double miles on
1: every purchase every day. What's in your wallet?
2: The Ryan Rossillo Show podcast.
1: All right. Great way to start Friday here on the Rossillo Show. Rolling solo before Jonathan Vilma gets in. He has this really intense Friday workout routine. Well, we know we talk about that stuff a lot on the show. Maybe probably too much, but uh, he's going to make his way over here. We're going to talk about the you. Big win against Notre Dame. I unfortunately was not here with him last Friday leading up to that big weekend, so he can puff out his chest as much as he possibly wants because he'll probably have a post workout pump, and the fact that his team is pretty good. And we were giving him I don't I wouldn't say a hard time with Vilma, we're just like, look, how good are these guys going to be? So we'll do that. Uh we'll talk maybe some hoops here early, maybe a little bit later. Depends on how the Brewski thing works out. Teddy Brewski will be in the first hour. We'll do our picks and all that stuff. But I love the Roger Goodell Jerry Jones story. I love it, and I love the guys that are working on it, Wickersham and Don Van Natta, who are both going to join me. We're going to have Wickersham in studio and Van Vannotta on the phone a little bit later this hour. And it is another piece that I think if you're into this stuff, if you're into the soap operas like most of us are, you're going to love this piece. It's up on ESPN.com. It's part of the OTL stuff. And the headline is, Roger Goodell has a Jerry Jones problem, and nobody knows how it will end. It's also going to be in ESPN, the magazine. And the quote that gets you, the quote that sinks in here as we know how this battle's going, is that Jones apparently said to Goodell after he found out that Ezekiel Elliott was going to be suspended, and the backstory goes that apparently Goodell told Jones he's not going to be suspended. you don't have anything to worry about Goodell's denied that the All the people that work for Goodell on the NFL office side have said that's not a, that he was given no assurances there's quotes like that all over this piece, but apparently Goodell said or excuse me, Jones said to Goodell, Jerry says, quote, I'm going to come after you with everything I have. Then he mentioned to Fleetgate. he said, if you think Bob Kraft came after you hard, Bob Kraft is a bleep compared to what I'm going to do. So I was like, I'm in. And that bleep there wasn't a compliment. You don't say it to other dudes and make that guy feel better about himself. It was um obviously in this spot, he was comparing Kraft to a part of the female body. So, I've done the Jerry Jones thing where I feel like we don't like him, but if we were him, if we were given his power, his success, and fulfilling a lifelong dream, probably more of us would be like him. We might be hypocrites, and maybe he's being a total hypocrite here with the Ezekiel Elliott thing. There are some people that still to this day will tell you the only reason this is a battle here with Goodell and Jones is because of Ezekiel Elliott suspension. I'm not sure I'm buying that as the sole motivation. And we'll ask Wickersham and Van about that more, okay? Because they're on this story. They've been on it for really a while because they're going back in the archives on some of these, these quotes. But it still comes down to money. It's always going to be about money for these guys. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But when you look at the way the Goodell story is always told, he is given too much credit for the increase in revenues in the NFL. When Goodell took over in 2006... The revenue for that league, $6 billion. The most recent year we have the numbers, the last season for the NFL, $14 billion. So you're going, hey, Russillo, shut up. Look at the math. $6 billion in revenues in 2008. 2016, eight years later, we're talking more than double. $6 billion to $14 billion. Goodell deserves his money. Goodell's making about $40 million, asking for just about fifty. We all know the jokes about the private jet and the health insurance, although there's nothing to joke about when it comes to your health. So... A lot of people will just look at that number because it's repeated over and over and over again, and people will say, well, of course Goodell's worth it. Who cares if you don't like him? Who cares if he's not a great public speaker? Who cares if the owners are mad at him all the time? They're just mad as soon as it's one of their players that gets into trouble. Look at the revenue increase. I would tell you to slow down. I'll never, or let me sing, never is a long time. I rarely, for those of you who have listened to me over the years, rarely say, fire this guy, fire that guy, fire through Goodell's lowest moment, I've never said fire him. Get him out of there. And I'll tell you, I think Goodell is actually unfairly unpopular at times. I think he takes too much criticism. I'm not telling you it's something you should love everything he's done, but he takes a little bit too much heat. But in this revenue thing, man, he gets too much credit. Again, six billion to fourteen billion in just under ten years under Goodell's lead. The NBA went from three point three billion To eight billion, Major League Baseball went from five billion to nine billion. The NHL from 2006 to now went from 2.3 billion to 4.1 billion. If you look at college football, some of those jumps are even more ridiculous. The largest revenue team in 2006 was bringing home just over 60 million. Now they're bringing over a hundred million. Basketball has more than doubled when you look at some of the largest teams. And if you want to open it up even more, look at the bowl games. Look what we've paid for. It's the same thing everywhere. Every one of these sports properties is far more valuable. It's why every franchise evaluation has gone through the roof. So to say Goodell is the only guy that can do that, that's not really telling the truth. Here's Wickersham on more of Goodell's challenges.
3: It's a very difficult question. You're probably going to get 31 different answers. Okay. I think that there are people who feel that what he's doing right now is not helping the NFL. I think there's other people who feel like, you know, he's got a point. Even if we don't really want him to have a win here, he has a point. Mm. I just don't know where it ends. At the end of the day... There just is no likely success for, for Roger. You know, they reached out to Adam Silver to see if he had any interest at all. He immediately said no. They've thought about the IOC, someone with international experience. There's even been an owner who suggested bringing back Paul Tagliabue for a year to try to find a better successor. Look, there's just nobody there. And the owner's already unanimously voted to extend Roger's contract. And so he has a lot of leverage right now.
1: And they voted to extend it knowing he was asking for a raise, and they voted to extend it because of that revenue number. Now, if I were an owner, I'd go, you know what, Roger, we like you. You haven't handled anything great, but you know what? You're leading this league. You've been doing it almost a decade. There's going to be down points, and I'm sympathetic to those, even if I disagree with you about it. But guess what? You're not the sole reason we've had this revenue jump. And we were okay paying you 20 We were okay paying you 40 and we're kind of now, okay, you know, paying you 40. And that's the way life works a lot with this stuff. The Rosillo show right here on ESPN radio and ESPN news. A lot of places that pay you kind of based on incentives or a percentage of something. Once things jump up, they go, Hey, you know what we want to do? I want to revisit the numbers here. Okay. When you have an agent for what I do. Okay. On air people pay 10% to their agents. That's kind of the standard thing except some of them don't, okay? So when I got an agent, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, this is awesome. I can't believe somebody even wants to rep me. I remember going out to CA. I wore a Versace suit. It was the best suit I had. I had a minivan that I rented. I was so embarrassed to pull up to CA because it's Maseratis. It's for, it was like Escalades when Escalades were cool. you know. And I'm going, I got a minivan, and I got a valet guy laughing at me, but I can't believe this place even wants to rep me. You're like, yeah, you can take 10%. Like, I don't care. So, say you're making 100 grand a year. Say you're making 200 grand a year. That means after taxes, you're writing a check, you know, for say you're making 200 grand a year, you're writing a check for almost two grand a month. But you're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing started. And then you start making 5 million a year. Okay. And that's definitely not me. But some of my friends that make 5 million a year, guess what they pay? It's not 10%. Because no on-air guy, at least should, and some on-air people are so non-confrontational that they never want to have this conversation with their agent. But they'll go, okay, look, now I'm making $5 million a year. I don't I want to pay you $500,000 a year in commission. And some of these guys who get five-year deals for $5 million per. So it's $25 million. And look, this is the very, very top of broadcasting, the guys getting these deals. You think they're paying 10%? No, they go to the agent and be like, look. Thanks for everything. I appreciate the deal you got me, and that's great, but I'm not going to pay you $2.5 million in commissions over five years for doing one deal every five years. And some agents do a lot more on the side, and it's worth it, and others don't. The same thing happens in the NBA all the time. Those rookies aren't paying commissions that much on the player salary. They're making their money. The agents are making their money on all the marketing stuff on the side. So I think this is really similar to your everyday workplace. If you're in commission and you're doing sales, a lot of you guys have caps because the guy running the business goes, you're great, you're killing it, but you know what? It gets to a certain point where I just don't need to pay you that much more. I'm not saying Roger should be out. I understand Jerry Jones' point. If his point is more about just the salary, because even though that revenue growth is great, it's more of what the demand is for live sports. And that's why all of these properties have jumped the way they have. If you had a different commissioner in there, the revenue would have gone up too, because it's gone up everywhere else. And I'd never say get rid of Roger and say, you know, he deserves to be fired. I'm not, but he gets too much credit for that revenue bump. And if the owners want to go, yeah, we like your salary, but we don't want it to keep going up and up and up when other guys could do the job. I wouldn't blame him for that side of it either.
2: The Ryan Rossillo show.
1: It's the piece we led the show with today from Seth Wickersham and Don Van Notta up on ESPN.com, ESPN the magazine. And the quote that we heard through this piece from Jerry Jones talking about Ezekiel Elliott being suspended, he said to Roger, quote, I'm going to come after you with everything I have. If you think Bob Kraft came after you hard, Bob Kraft is a bleep compared to what I'm going to do to you. And uh, we, we, we dove a little bit deeper there to explain what that was. The Rossillo Show today, some stories you just have to hear to believe, season two of the acclaimed 30 for 30 podcast available now on the ESPN app, Apple podcast, listen today on the ESPN app or Apple podcast. So with Seth, uh, Seth Wickersham with us now and also Don Van nada on the show Penzo Performance Line. So Don, I'm going to say hi to you just so we have this good. You're good?
4: I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah,
1: great story again. Great work here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick it off with Seth here, and then you follow up with him. And if you guys start talking to each other to better tell the story, uh, that's even better. So if we could have somebody run in and bring some headphones in for Seth, that would also make this less complicated. So as of right now, Don, Seth can't hear you, but we're going to figure this out right now. Okay. I think it's more
3: on purpose. I don't know if I want to hear, John. We've been working so much together. I think maybe maybe a little space right now. He wasn't supposed to call in. He's just kind of here. Space on the first one. Okay, Seth, (laughs) let me start with this.
1: Is there a real now possibility that Roger Goodell is not going to be the next commissioner of the NFL?
3: I don't know. I think anybody who says that they know isn't telling the truth because I don't think they know. I don't think the odds are very high of that likelihood. But I do think that Jerry, as much as he's annoying people, has, you know, raised some questions that I think other owners see some virtue in, which is basically that, look, a lot of the things that the NFL has relied on for years, a lot of the business metrics are not in our favor, and they're trending downward. And has Roger Goodell actually been a good commissioner? Does he deserve more money? And I think that those are the questions that Jerry is raising in his own way, with his own colorful language at times. But I think that more owners are starting to, even if they don't like the messenger, they're listening to the message. Okay, Don,
1: what do you think the biggest issue is then for Roger right now?
4: I think the biggest issue is to somehow overcome an all-out assault by Jerry Jones. I agree with Seth's analysis, but what I would say is Jerry Jones has been such a visionary for the NFL and has help these NFL owners make so much money. Uh, Some of the owners, if you talk to them behind a closed door, will say that they ascribe more of their success to Jerry Jones than they do Roger Goodell. So Jones has a lot of juice and a lot of credibility with a lot of these owners. And so when he speaks, they listen. And so for Roger Goodell, I think I would be concerned that a guy who had my back when I made that mistake on the Ray Rice domestic violence case and had my back on Gate and Tom Brady, that's Jerry Jones, has now completely done a 180 on me. done a complete turn and is coming after me with guns blazing and how many owners he can get into his column. I think he only has three or four right now, Ryan, but he's got about a dozen owners who do feel roger goodell is overpaid are very concerned about the business net metrics as seth said and are listening to jerry so jerry has the floor and we'll see whether he can close this deal or not
1: don how frustrated are the owners with this cabinet that we're hearing more about that you have in this piece that roger goodell to bring in different voices and new people Uh, People from the White House, people from marketing backgrounds, all sorts of diversity that now actually other owners are going, this just clogs it all up, and now we're just paying all this money for this new committee.
4: They're extremely frustrated with with the league office. The league office is bloated in the words of Bob Kraft. Kraft was really the first owner to make a lot of noises about this through Deflategate. The Deflategate investigation of Tom Brady cost the league $22.5 million. I mean, that's just in a crazy, obscene amount of money. Every time Roger Goodell has made a mistake, he goes public and says, okay, I'll do better. We're learning here. We'll learn from our mistakes. And then they throw money at the problem and hire Lisa Friel and Kia Roberts, these two prosecutors, to basically run an investigative office inside the league office. Joe Lockhart is expensive. You know, he makes seven figures, the former White House press secretary. He was brought in to rehabilitate Goodell's image and to try to you know, uh, make the public relations uh, messaging a lot better. Uh, there are all of these executive vice presidents that are paid enormous amounts of money, and yet all of the owners keep hearing about dysfunction. They're concerned about the messaging they didn't like the way the anthem issue was dealt with by the league office. And some people would say this is done by design by Roger Goodell, that he actually marginalizes some of the people. Even though he brings more people in, he marginalizes them. And maybe his best leverage he has, Ryan, in this next contract, is there's not an obvious successor for him. It's, it's, there's nobody in the league office who is the heir apparent, and there are people who have told Steph and me that that's by design by Roger Goodell, by marginalizing the people who are there. It's a really dysfunctional, messed-up league office right now, and many owners are concerned about that.
1: I found one of the pieces in this whole thing just so funny when it was the former Pepsi executive, uh, Don Hudson, who now is the league's chief marketing officer, did this presentation in 2016 with owners where it showed, you know, ratings going down, but that soccer was up and coming, and that at the bottom of the slide, it said under the category of eroding the NBA, which had just done a $24 billion deal with us and TNT. Like, how can anybody take that presentation seriously when you would label the NBA as eroding when it may be the best position of any of the leagues?
3: Yeah, they didn't, and worse... They didn't take it seriously. They didn't, and worse, they felt like they were being spun. And I think that... You know, that was last year when the ratings dip was just starting to happen and nobody knew what it was, was it the election, was it the quality of the game, what was at the root of this and the owners convened for that meeting and what they wanted was an insider state of the union and instead they felt like they were being spun and there was that one owner who after that presentation said, do you believe this expletive Yes. because, right? yeah, because Nobody in there believes that the NBA is eroding. If anything, they feel like the NBA has made better uh, inroads internationally than the NFL has.
1: And as you guys both reported, that's why they reached out to Adam Silver, and Adam Silver said no. Don, I love this piece, too. Lisa Friel, who's head of the investigation with Elliot, and apparently there's, there's a big NFL deal. They're at the hotel bar, and Jones is there. Friel's there. And Jones is basically saying, this thing's done. There's nothing to see here. And she goes, well, look, this This is still open. And the quote is with Jones apparently, on your account, raising his finger and wagging it in her face, saying, quote, I'm saying this as an owner. Your bread and butter is going to get us both thrown out on the street. He can come off as a bully here, if that's the way you want to interpret it. I mean, it doesn't p- paint this great picture of Jones. How personal is this now becoming for Jones versus Goodell and the people around him?
4: Well, I I just want to point out, Ryan, that that incident was actually witnessed by Seth. uh, Seth was there. I was there. Oh, you were Uh, there and you saw it. I was there. I
3: saw it. You you know, every now and then being the last person to leave the bar has its benefits. It's very (laughs) rare, but that was one of them. Um, So, yeah, Don. All right, so jump in, Seth, whenever you want to, but I guess I'll just keep going. Like,
1: how personal do you think this gets for, for Jerry now?
4: I think it, I think it has become personal. Uh, you know, I spent the summer with Jerry Jones in 2014 for this profile I did, and he wants to win the next Super Bowl more than anything in the world. It's, as I said in the story, it's the only thing Jerry Jones can't buy is a Super Bowl one without the help of Jimmy Johnson. I mean, it's important to him. It's the most important thing to him. And he felt he had a shot winning that Super Bowl this year with Ezekiel Elliott. So Ezekiel Elliott being suspended for six games, in his mind, in a way and in a manner he felt was completely unfair and also felt there was a betrayal of trust by Roger Goodell because, in Jerry Jones's mind, back in May, he had an assurance that Ezekiel Elliott was not going to be suspended by Goodell and then heard differently several months later. So it's very personal it's very personal jerry jones's legacy and trying to win that next super Bowl. but having said that i want to make really clear ryan that jones also here feels that he is as he puts it the ombudsman the sort of ad hoc seventh member of this compensation committee that feels there's not been enough transparency about roger goodell's contract extension and that he felt it was his duty on behalf of all the other owners who are not on that committee the committee is led by arthur blank the falcons owner He felt it was really his job to monitor that process. And what he found out in doing that, the more he found out, the more alarmed he became of what he felt was a rigged system for Roger Goodell to get a new contract, an incentive-based contract. that even if the performance of Roger Goodell goes down, Roger Goodell is still going to be paid even more money than he's making now. he's deeply offended by that. So it's personal in some respects, but it's also, like everything with Jerry Jones, about business.
1: I got to wrap this up here. Uh, What's the next step, Seth?
3: Well, there's going to be a meeting in about a month in Irving, Texas, where they're going to discuss Roger's contract, and Jones wanted it to happen earlier, and the owner said no. Look, nobody knows how this thing's going to play out. I think that the odds are more likely than not than Roger stays because, again, there is no successor. There's nobody who's like, hey, this guy's waiting in the wings. He gets it. This is someone we can bring on. But... It's going to get really interesting. I don't think that Roger is going to stay on as commissioner as long as people think, and I think if even if he does sign a new contract, he probably won't fulfill it. All right. This is great. Check it out,
1: ESPN.com. Don, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate yeah. it.
3: In
2: life, there are talkers and there are doers. Sometimes it's not hard to tell the difference. Mike Bloomberg has spent his life getting big things done, starting his business out of a one-room office. Mike built a company with 20,000 employees, all with good pay and quality health care. Elected mayor in the aftermath of 9-11, Mike got to work helping rebuild a shaken city, creating nearly 500,000 new jobs and expanding health care for nearly 700,000 New Yorkers.
1: I can't figure the Celtics out either, man. I can't. Now, winning a bunch of games in a row, it's overrated. We've seen it with the Indians. We've seen it in football. Uh, we've seen it you know, the Houston Rockets had that crazy winning streak and it doesn't doesn't really mean anything. Usually just a couple balls go the other way, and then you think, Oh, you know, this this streak could end a long time ago. Although the Indians were crushing their opponents when they were going through their streak. But the Celts beat the Warriors last night. And they do it with defense. And collectively throughout that game, you know, the Warriors get up 17 two different times, and you're going, okay, well, Golden State's is going to put them away because they're better. And you know, depending on what you think of Golden State at this point, I mean, they're still 11 and 4. So for people that are like, ah, they're not really into it and all these things, I'm like, yeah, that's still a pretty good team. The Celts now from 0 and 2 now to 14 and 2, and still the best defensive team in the NBA. The fifth youngest team is the best team defensively in the league and I can't believe it either. Here's Chris Forsberg, ESPN.com, and how this is happening.
3: To go down 17 twice against the Warriors and find a way to to kind of gut out uh, another scrappy win, I think this will be the first one that sort of starts to put people over the edge about dreaming about what could be. uh, and, And what a stark difference. I mean, I just go back, like... Right after that Gordon Hayward injury and that loss to Cleveland, people are sitting here trying to adjust expectations for this group, and you know what? Can can they just get to the playoffs? And like, what can this team actually do? Uh, Brad Stevens is a little bit of a of a miracle worker, and he's got this team playing some really inspired basketball and, and giving them a chance to to really still sort of have a chance to fulfill their goals this season. So
1: you have that part of it. Kyrie wasn't very good last night. Jalen Brown carried them. Jalen Brown. Yes, that's right. Jalen Brown. Now, this seems to happen a lot with the NBA draft after the fact, and it happened with Perzingis, and Strudy's all over this. He's keeping names on a list where all the people that now the Porzingis is a stud and immediately was good. Like, as soon as Perzingis started playing, you go, okay, wait a minute. He's going to be good. He's never going to be a bust. A lot of people were going, I told you. Yeah, oh, no, I always liked Porzingis. Like, you did? You watch a lot of his his Eurobasket stuff. That's weird, because most of you, most everybody, said he was going to be a bust. There were articles about how he was going to be a bust before he even played, because he was the big Latvian white guy. Okay, Jalen Brown was the third pick in a bad draft two years ago. It was Ben Simmons, and it was Brandon Ingram, and then it was eh, take your pick. And when you first heard rumors of Ainge taking Jalen Brown, I remember I was with Chad Ford. And Chad and I are like, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? And Chad's like, look, Ainge is never going to tell me who he's going to take, but I think Ainge may like Jalen Brown. And now, because Jalen Brown has been this good, you're hearing a lot of people say, I had Jalen Brown pretty high. Oh, I always liked Jalen Brown. Big, athletic, you know, 6'7, great, aggressive. Nobody liked Jalen Brown. Okay. Ainge did. I don't know anybody else that did. I'm serious, and I talked to teams before the draft. If you watched Jalen Brown at Cal, you wouldn't have liked Jalen Brown either. Okay, He was terrible. What he was was an athlete that was asked to do too much at Cal, and what he's done with the Celtics has been slowly allowed to do a little bit more and more. Athletic, aggressive, and a great defender. His efficiency stuff isn't that good. I was wrong. I was wrong about Jalen, and most of you are wrong too, is my point. Because it was a two-guy draft. Look, I'm not even telling you that I think now Jalen Brown should have emphatically gone second in that draft. But I don't know why this happens all the time. It doesn't even happen with quarterbacks this way. If a young guy has drafted high works out that no one liked, a bunch of people tell you after the fact, oh yeah, he was pretty good. The
2: Ryan Rosillo Show. Rosillo.
1: little rapid fire. I haven't done this with you yet. I think you're going to be great at it. I love having you guys in that I don't see all the time. So... I guess you could go NFL answers. That's kind of originally how I thought of this. But if there's a college guy you want to throw in as an answer, too, I'm not going to rule that one out. All right. all right. Give me most underrated player played with, against, whatever. Most underrated player, college or
5: NFL, played with or against. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Corey Dillon. He was the most underrated running back I went against. Was with the Pats, but was with Cincinnati in his prime. Cincinnati Cincinnati in his prime. He still had a couple years left when he went to the Pats. And he was a grown damn man. When I went against him, he was underrated. I was like, where is the scouting report on this guy? (laughs) What was so impressive about it? First, his size. Yeah, he's a big dude. Yeah, I didn't realize he was that big. (laughs) And uh, I remember the first time I was going to go against him, Ed Reed called me, and he was like, hey, man, uh, you know what's going on? You know, we're just just chatting. He's like, look, I'm just telling you right now, you got that guy, Corey Dillon. I was like, yeah, he's like, that's a man. I was like, "What?" He was like, "That's a man." I'm telling you, get ready. I was like, "All right, you know, I'll get ready for it." And then I was saw that him. weird for Ed to call you about that about it be well, that- No, it, we, we were talking about other things, but he made it a point just to remind me that <laughs> that guy's that guy's a grown man. And so uh, went against him. First, it was his size. Then he he was actually pretty fast for his size. Good vision. I mean, he was he was underrated man. He was grown. He was grown. He's listed
1: at six one two twenty five. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Well, at least not when I not, not when football. you had him. All right. No. See, I as much as I can do this job every day, and sometimes I don't want to say ever take it for granted, but like you yeah. you do everything. I'm giddy right now. I love this stuff more than anything. When Dude. I get to just throw. All right, so let's keep going. How about most overrated? Most overrated. overrated college pros.
5: Eric Crouch, most overrated. We played him in the championship game. Here, here, you know what? The the issue was they talked about his speed for like a month. You remember back then you got 30-some-odd days before you played in the game, and they were saying he's a 4-4 guy, fastest guy on Nebraska's team, Da back and forth, Heisman Trophy winner. And the first series, you know, he's running the option, the triple option. We can't stop it. And he, he does a little quarterback keeper, fakes a dive. He's keeping the ball. And I'm running, and I'm like, this guy's slow. I was like, oh, no, like, this is not going to work. And then I remember going to the sideline after the first series. Randy Shannon was, was uh, my defensive coordinator at the time, and he stayed in the, in the box. So he calls me, and he's like, hey, so what do you think? I was like, coach, we're going to win. He's like, what? I was like, you can call whatever you want, coach. They're just too slow.
1: Yeah, you told me that part of the story where you go, Yeah, they're they're just too slow. He's so. the reason why, because he
5: was supposed to be the fastest guy on the team. We're supposed to worry about his speed, blah, blah, blah. Nah, no chance. All right. So that's what,
1: 2000, 2000 two thousand two thousand game one no, two thousand two game, but two thousand and one season. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. Last time we brought this up, somebody got really mad and said... Why? Because we are blowing them out at halftime? Oh, they were like, no, no, no. This was brought up. When we brought up the fact that you said Nebraska was just too slow and it didn't matter, and you beat them 37. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was 34 to nothing at halftime. Yeah. so That what? he ran for 114 on you guys. It
5: was 34 to nothing at halftime. So you were not locked in.
1: <laughs>
5: I'll repeat that. It was 34 nothing in a championship game. I'm just
0: telling you that Nebraska's been a sensitive topic <laughs>
1: on the show this week. I don't uh, think we worried was, about him. He was 5-for-15, though, passing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Willie Colon gave us an answer on this one, and it's one of my favorite Willie Colon moments ever. I said, give mm-hmm. me the guy that you played against that if you saw him today, there would be problems. He went with T. Sizzle, not Taylor Swift. Terrell Suggs. Yeah. And he said, you know, look, Suggs hit me in the knee, kind of ended my career. And Willie, I'll give him a lot of credit for this. He he didn't do the tough guy thing where he goes, if I saw him now, I would knock him out. He's like, dude, Suggs is a really tough dude, and I'm not telling you how to get him. He goes, but it, there'd be problems. Like, we wouldn't be hugging it out. Interesting. Do you have a guy like that? I don't. I don't. I, I was, I never,
5: I never cheap shot at anybody. <laughs> <Bounty gate. clears throat>
1: Never cheap We shot do anybody. have some cross-examinations on Bounty Gate <laughs> that, that people do want us to get to a little bit.
5: Um, and no one ever cheap shot me that way. Never got hurt off a cheap shot by a lineman or anything. You get You get the guys that go after the whistle a little bit, but nothing where it carried over off the field. So you don't have one of those guys in your
3: nah. life? Now that Human Resources VP Ashley Campbell has Kronos for HR, payroll, talent, and time, she's managing her workforce like a rock star. She even has her own hype song. I'm the
6: spark before the fire.
1: I'm the power in the train.
2: I Have a really diverse workforce with different hours, skill sets, and pay grades. Don't
1: stop.
2: Don't stop.
4: I'm the dream. You should know
3: that. Now we're motivating and engaging the right people. Every step of the way. Kronos, HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them. Learn more at Kronos.com hrswagger HR Swagger.
1: Once a week, we do this. And this week's sit down is former NBA player or maybe still active NBA player, Dante Jones. It was the source of the go-to joke and meme for an entire year, starting
2: in 2016.
0: We're down 3-1. The chills that goes through your body at that point in time, like the, the greatness and what you see is about to happen, like we just knew something special was going to go down.
2: And it sparked the only Halloween party controversy in NBA history. How much did you guys dislike
0: the Warriors? The catering company put that together. <laughs> if you think that <laughs> LeBron James throws a party and goes then everything from the cookies and the decorations, then you're kind of insane. It just happened to be funny at that point time.
2: It's Rosillo's sit down with former Cleveland Cavalier Dante Jones on the 3-1 comeback against the Warriors.
1: Okay, down 3-1. We all know the jokes. What was it like being around the team then?
2: It
0: was like business as usual. I think guys were confident in the fact that we hadn't played our game plan yet and and guys that knew that we had an adjustment that we thought was going to be uh, the telltale sign of, of whether we win the series or not. Guys were jovial Joking around, kinda of doing the normal stuff, shopping, um, still hanging out with each other. Guys, usually when you get down you have some adversity, guys kinda of tend to gravitate away from each other and, and trying to close off and be a little nervous. But you can see we had pictures and stuff, guys walking down the street in, in San Fran and and just like just just being their normal selves and and we knew that our game plan was going to be the decisive factor of it. So like there was, there was a point in time where we we ended up we're down three one. We win game five. Before, that's where he
1: suspended Draymond suspended right. for game five. So right
0: before game five, um, we're all at dinner like at eleven o'clock, a uh, ten ten thirty dinner. Yep. And Bron jumps up from the table and 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 he's like, man, I just I, I got to get something out. So he goes as people open up the Four Seasons um, weight room, which is not not open and closes at like ten. So
1: he's going to find somebody to open up the weight room. Right.
0: He, security went and found somebody to open up the weight room, and he goes and does a full. Versa climber workout to simulate his first half that he's going to do, and he comes back to the table like sweating. He has his meal brought into him, and like super locked in focus. That was the day that Muhammad Ali died, and like we're we're all in awe of what he's doing right now, like how locked in he is. So like his whole attitude and whole focus permeated throughout the team. He walked in the locker room and wasn't talking right before um, game five, like just wasn't saying anything. And that's not in his personality. He was just in his locker, stern, stale face, like just focused and didn't say a word. And then we go to our huddle before we go on the floor. And he was like, man, just get me to the fourth quarter. All I need you guys to do is just get me to the fourth quarter and I'll take over. And then like the chills that goes through your bodies at that point in time, like the, the greatness and, 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 and what you see is about to happen. Like we just knew it. We just knew something special was going to go down. So you go through the game and and you see the Kyrie and LeBron special performance, and it's just like yeah, you get to gain the confidence from from the game five. And then we go home, and he's the same exact way. He's not himself. He's not talking. He's not laughing. He's not joking. He's just like laser focused.
1: So he's not he's not having fun with anybody. And he's usually a pretty yeah.
0: He's he's like he's a, just a playful like jokes. Like he's just about business the whole time. And I guess that that is what. Made it permeate through our team that like we're going to do this. Gave him that confidence that it's going to happen. And we go through Game Six, and um, we go up, we go up big, and then we have a little lull before um, halftime. But he's still in there focused, and we end up winning Game Six, and then we go into Game Seven, and like this is still a constant thing. And but now at this point in time, he was talking on the road trip on the road trip to San Fran, but then we get in the locker room before Game Seven. And it's the same thing. So we're used to seeing this one. Like, is Kyrie talking to you guys or is Kyrie kind of doing the same thing LeBron's doing? Ky- Kyrie is, is in the same suit. Like, Kyrie is still Kyrie. Kyrie is not, he's not that talkative. So like, he's, he's, he's focused majority of the time and, and he's a, he's normal business Kyrie. Like, he's ready to play, but he's focused. Um, and then game seven, same type of speech. Like, I got this. Don't worry about it. Just get me to the fourth quarter, and I'll make it happen. We're going to win this game. And this is his speech. His, his, his rah-rah speeches are usually screaming and yelling, but this one is like his, the temperament of this one is
1: So LeBron usually enormous. yells at you like a football yeah, fan, like, but kind so of like this Yeah, just
0: in, in, energy, giving, giving energy, talking. Wait, was there one
1: specific thing he said before in Game 7 that still is something you think about, one line from that whole thing?
0: Um, Just, just this moment is going to last. Lasts us our lifetime, and, and this is an opportunity that we're going to make something special happen. He always spoke in it that it's going to happen, not that we can make this happen. It's going to happen. This is going to last our lifetime. This is our legacy is going to be built on. And just get. Just, I, I just need you guys to help me get to the fourth quarter, and I will take over from there. I know we're at the end of our energy cycle. I know it's been a long season, but this game is going to stand out for the rest of our lives. You go into that, and then you just see that special performance happen from him and Kyrie. And, and, and it all was, it all worked out.
1: Dante Jones on the sit down, the Rasila show at CSBN Radio. Uh, how much did you guys dislike the Warriors? It seemed to be a little extra. Like he, the corpse at the Halloween party, I felt like was, was, was significant. Um, were you at the Halloween party? Yeah, I was at the Halloween party. And usually his, usually his trolls are funny, but I don't,
0: but that was not from him. That was from the catering company. Oh. And, he, and he, that's why he never, he, ne- he really doesn't speak of it because, The catering company put that together. If you think that (laughs) LeBron James throws a party and goes then everything from the cookies and the decorations, then you're kind of insane that he has a season to prepare for and he's doing um, party planning as well. I just thought he was a huge organizer. No, but that was was, was a (laughs) a great event planner. (laughs) Um, But that was the the company that they hired. It just happened to be funny at that point in time. But
1: like they they did a job. I'm just pointing out that I felt like you guys – like extra didn't like him beyond just being competitive. Where there's kind of the the fun. Hey, we're all NBA players, but I, I don't know. I, I I always kind of the way it was described to me. So this wasn't a total guess. Was that if every one of us with a microphone was going to talk about Steph Curry being the best of the world, that LeBron part of the motivation on top of everything else was reminding guys like me, like you think that dude's the best player in the world? Like right, it's still his, this guy. Obviously, his,
0: his internal motivation is the world domination, and that's what he talks about. Like um he's focused on being the best in the world and and if somebody if the the media was going to give that title to somebody else he was going to take it back like and he did and and he did but those guys do they dislike him not as people but in competition they took something from them that that's that's what they felt like like that was ours and they took it we didn't have Kevin we didn't have Kyrie yep we didn't feel like we were at full strength we had delhi who was going back and forth to the hospital from exhaustion and dehydration so they they felt like we did not we weren't able to play them at full
1: strength. That's in 2015, right? And then,
0: so that's where the dislike came from. Like, we got to get them back, and I think that was out a dynamic from Golden State last year. Like, it was more of get back. I, I, I gave the analogy of like somebody punches you in your face and walks away. That person got what they had to get out, <laughs> and and and, and they're, they're not they're having any animosity towards you, but. When you see that person next time like you you're just waiting for that moment to get them back and yeah. that's wh- and that's how they were like they they were waiting for that moment to get back they all year was planned to get back because they felt like we took something from them and they had that animosity and that focus and that and that, and, and that ability to channel that 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 loss into their
1: championship aspirations so before we finish here just to be sure I don't know if you're going to be picked up again here by Cleveland how does that <laughs> work out where you're you're picked up at the end of the 2016 season you're waived in July, you're picked up in September, you're waived in October and then you're picked up again with a game to go at the end of the 2017 season. So what happened?
0: The 17 season wasn't supposed to end like that, but it's just like the transaction of basketballs, the transactions of basketball. You were supposed to be on the team the whole year. Yes, and there were some things that stopped it. Um there were some injuries that stopped it because you had to replace certain people and and the Mo Williams situation with him retiring in training camp made it made it made a, a spot not available for me to be on there. So I was supposed to be there or on there all year, but the transactions kind of messed it up, and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And then that's when it went to the last game of the year, because that's when, under the cap, you kind of could make it more favorable to, to add me. So, it, yeah, it was it's, it's, it's it was weird. It was it's weird, definitely. But and it was frustrating because if you if you know you're supposed to make a team in October and they push it back two weeks or they push it back a month. And it lasts five months. Like the emotional strain, the and you're staying You're, you're work- staying in shape. I'm. Work- you're working out every day. So like the next maybe- day is going to be. Wow. Be picked up. So That's it's tough. it's tough. It's tough on me. It's tough on my family. Yeah. Like my family's asking me questions, and they know what, what I'm going through. But they we all don't know a day. And so you have to. Me being the person who like over prepares. Like I'm preparing. I'm working out every day. No off days because tomorrow could be the day. And when you're in constant communication with the organization. Like tomorrow could be the day or next week could be the day. You don't want to take any days off. You always want to be prepared. So it was frustrating, but it all worked out. You're done then now? <laughs> Listen, I'm never going to say I'm done, even though when I'm 45. Like, <laughs> probably still be working out every day. And if they call me out, like I'll definitely go back. I love this game too much. But am I working towards other things? Yes, in life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that, man. Thank you, Dante. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me.
1: The Ryan Rosillo Show. Joe Rosillo. Teddy Brewski. Is this the first time I've had both of you guys? Yes, in studio. same time, yes. yes. That's that hit it great. off pretty well. I just noticed that. backers, yes. Yes. yes, that's right. So we were doing rapid-fire NFL questions with him, okay? All right. And we didn't even get through them all. We don't need oh, any Oh, we had a good one. Yeah, he, right. would yeah, know this one. So I asked him who the most underrated player he's yeah. ever played against in his career, and he guessed one of your teammates.
6: Really? Corey it, was Dillon. It, or was it,
1: or yeah. we'll just tell him now.
6: Corey Dillon. You think oh. Corey <laughs> Dillon was <laughs> underrated?
5: I thought he was underrated.
6: You thought he was underrated? Yeah, yeah I mean, he's... He was a great player. I mean, he. <laughs> I was going to say Kevin Falk. So Kevin he, Falk
5: would have been the hardest player I, I hated going against. Okay. I right. hated
6: it. Yeah, because I know he's a linebacker, so now he's thinking, he's thinking either tight ends or he's thinking running place. backs, yeah. things so like that. I, I was yeah.
5: supposed to be like the quick backer that can run with them. Yeah, all right. No, I thought it was good. Moore, the guard. Yeah. Is it Brandon, Brandon Moore. Brandon Moore. Yeah. Brandon Moore. He, he was underrated. underrated. He was good. So he was a D-tackle. Uh-huh. And they switched him to O-line, so he always had that nasty mindset. And right. He was strong, like heavy strong. He learned, yeah,
6: he was strong. Yeah. He learned how to hold real well, real <laughs> yes. quick. Like, he did it good too, cause they, the offensive yeah. side to grab you, and then he let you go. And then you can't complain, cause you know there's like two seconds or so, and then they can grab you, and then he, he was good at that. Yep. Low pad level, I mean, how tall was he, though? Know, he was he about... Six one. Yeah, six short. Two, he
5: was, shorter, yeah, he yeah. wasn't that, wasn't that yep. big. Alright, yeah. he wasn't that tall, he was still a big boy, but Brandon Moore was good. And that's in yeah.
6: back. We were playing three, four uncovered guard, two gaps, clack, clack, right into right into an offensive guard, and it yeah, just, was just I was like, man, this guy. You is let good. your coach
5: come to the Jets and have us do the same thing, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. And you guys were laughing as on the sideline. Yeah, no. exactly. So how he's laughing so, now? That's so how he's laughing. Explain us exactly. On the exactly I'll tell you it's a little but, more in depth though, like what you're talking about. So,
6: there. and all, let's just say three, four defense versus 4-3. Four, 4 means there's four defensive linemen lined on five offensive linemen. So. Which one's free? Which ones, you know, you don't definitely have a defined free player to come off onto your linebackers and hit them. If there's only three, there's one on the nose and then another two on the offensive tackles. So the the guards are uncovered. So they just run right straight
5: at you at times if your nose Uh, isn't good enough. The the guards are smiling at you, pointing <laughs> at you before before they get down because yeah. they know they're uncovered and you got no, you got nothing else. And you
6: see, look at us. We're, I mean, we're one. we We're like 240, 230, something like that. Yeah, we're all so, about the same size. And even, no, no, not, no, you, no, not no. you, not you. <laughs> let's do Let's do
2: <laughs>
6: And so Bill and all our two-gap coaches like, you got to hit him, you got to hit him. And I'm like, I can't keep hitting them. So I started yeah. slipping them. Slipping them, meaning making them think I'm going to hit them and then, whoo, quick little <laughs> swim. And I'd do it even when Bill would tell me not to because I said, I want to survive in this league, Bill. I'm going <laughs> to slip him. And I don't care what you say.
1: Um, he didn't seem to have the same Mangini experience that you did.
5: No, I don't know. What, I don't know. I had a- <laughs> wait, wait. Before before you answer, so my Mangini experience was he was a very smart coach, knew his X's and O's. He was not the best with the players, or I should say, he didn't have the best rapport. With the players, he was trying to be, he was basically trying to be Belichick. Sure, you know, sure. trying to trying to be that guy, but he wasn't. His you could tell his body language wasn't that. His personality, it wasn't that. So we we had issues because w- you knew we were a four three defense. He switches to three four. We're getting our butts handed to us, and we're trying to get out of it. He won't do it. So that was my experience. And then I get traded to the Saints, and that's all she wrote. So that was my experience with Mangini.
6: Right, and um, yeah. so that's that's the difference between a defensive coordinator, because with us, we all loved E. We thought he was a great coach. He got along with everybody well. You know, the pressure was off him. You know, the head coach was there. He'd just come in our meeting with his spit cup and chewing his tobacco and all that <laughs> stuff, and he'd mess around with us and everything. There was a lot of things he didn't have to worry about when you have to worry about as a head coach. Mm. So there goes possibly the effect, a low pressure, and then it, it, it strains your the way you usually handle some players.
1: He went yeah. – most great overrated. Yeah, great coach. And I I told Vilma, I go, he went from a guy that I didn't like that I didn't know, watching him do the Jets thing, to then once I got to know him up here, he's one of my favorite guys ever. I, yeah. I mean, I love that guy. I love Mangini. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he said most overrated. He went college. He went Eric Crouch. He's just killing Nebraska every time he comes I'm on the show. I'm not killing <laughs> – All right. You, you know in, this, in the game, speed kills, right?
5: You can't coach speed. That's what they say. And Eric Crouch was dubbed as the fastest guy in Nebraska's team, all this stuff. And I come to find out, he would have been, he wasn't slow. He wasn't slow, but he would have been maybe middle of the pack fast for our Miami team, maybe. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I said, hearing all the hype surrounding him. We didn't have an NFL guy. Him. Did you
1: have an NFL guy? Overrated NFL guy? Are you allowed that's to a- say overrated even as a Pat Lombrusky? Oh. You want to give him any animal? Do I don't have
6: you know? any um, over. I, I don't know, overrated NFL guys. I was trying to think who do I, who at Arizona State was overrated. You know, at my rival <laughs> school. You know, <laughs> and I could easily call them out. But no, you know, when oh, to man, like, you, yeah. you
5: see him on film. You know if a guy can play or not. You you don't really listen to too much of the hype. You know if a guy can play. So just as.
1: Guys, studying it, you never went. How come this guy always gets all this hype? This guy, and then I'm watching him, and it's not the same deal. Or I'm out on the field, being like, I don't know, man. You know, no. Let, well, let's think about. That's, that's actually, I think that's more impressive as a non-answer. I don't think you're doing this just to not call anybody out. Like you guys nah. really felt that way.
6: Yeah, in terms of you watch film, and even you know, you hear your coaches build up guys all week. There's some some skill you still have once once you get out there on the field. I haven't. I mean, anybody that's garbage that I played against in the NFL, I can't really. They never got caught. the hype, yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if they
5: were garbage, they never got the hype i mean the most the most overrated or the the most i could say would be like a quarterback who has an awesome receiver, but the quarterback gets more credit than the awesome receiver, and I can't even I can't even think of anybody to be honest, it could go the other way too, an average receiver that
6: and another. true and, right, exactly,
1: so okay, how about this? we got Vilma Teddy Bruski here um. He, I asked him, give me a quarterback that he he figured out all the time. Like he just knew the deal. Do you have one where you go, okay, this is going to be an easier week for me?
6: Easier week for me in terms of quarterback.
1: Or you knew when you get out there, you go, well, you can do all your stuff and all your histrionics, but it's just, you're not going to trick me.
6: Hey, throw some out there. Help me How out How about here. you? Do you uh, have one,
1: Vilma? I have one. Who do you got? I, I don't think you played against
5: him, though. Matt Ryan. I don't think I played against yeah, him. Yeah, you didn't play against no. him. So I had Matt Ryan because, Matt Ryan was only allowed to check the two offenses. So we would go up, we'd line up in something, he would check. I already knew what it was, like one or two things. That was it. So I was like, oh, I'll just wait mm, eight seconds and I'll just check into my defense, knowing that I already knew what he was going to get into. So I don't, I don't know if you had someone like that, but that was a gimme. I'm, and by formation, I was like, yep, it's going to be a power. He just checked into that. Oh, yeah, he's going to play action. He's going to check it for Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. It was so easy. Yeah. I loved it. I yeah, loved I, it. I'll
6: say, I mean, Early Peyton Manning, in terms of how we used to play mind games. Ooh, with. what him. years? And I mean, year three, that was. Four. Well, he, when was his first year? 98? Yeah. yeah. I mean, 98. So that run where you guys I mean, were beating nine, him all the time? Yeah, in the class? yeah we actually would man. think to ourselves, man, what what is the deal? Because every yeah, time wow. we would throw different disguises and stuff at him, and he'd really look. Just flustered out there and hands up in the air, not knowing what to do, free runners at him and we're blowing up receivers until a few years later and then you know it's uh he's figured it out. It's (laughs) it's over and we gotta we gotta figure out some new tricks. But early on you you love to Disguise and trick young, you know, up and coming quarterbacks.
1: I asked him, give me a quarterback he couldn't figure out who he had the toughest time with. And, and Vilma, in a, in a very Miami way, said nobody.
5: Yeah, but you didn't let me finish. So I said <laughs> nobody, but you had guys like Aaron Rodgers. You know what he's, he's running. You have the defense for it. He still puts the ball right there on the money. Great defense, better offense. I mean, that you still yeah. had those type of
6: quarterbacks. Right. It's weird that the same answer for me is Peyton Manning in terms of later the, way, on. the way we later had him earlier than later on. It's like he just always found it, especially, yeah. you know, that 0- 06 year. like They came into Foxborough, then. They came beat us eventually. Marvin Harrison spiking the ball on us, so much of saying, yeah, we got you now, sort of like that. And uh, the same tricks that we would do were just weren't, weren't working anymore. And even if we thought we got them, like Vilma's saying over there, that throw that was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, he still made that throw where he was supposed to make it, and it was still covered, and it was right on, right up where it was supposed to be.
5: You can defend a perfect pass, Ryan.
1: I just got a bunch of drop, just knowledge, just dumped all over me in here. So uh, I could have done that for three hours today. You guys are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, right, Teddy.
2: Listening to the Ryan Rossillo Show Podcast. You can check out the show live weekdays at 1 Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on ESPN News. The Ryan Rossillo Show Podcast.